Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. So the news today, um, Tim Hortons, company that we know a little bit about in these parts, Tim Hortons has announced that they are going to be undertaking a an expansion. Not in Canada. We have one on every single street corner, apparently. We don't need probably too many more Tim Hortons. Uh, not in the States. They've tried that. Mixed results. Uh, and not a little expansion that they're talking about. We're talking big time move into China. The company that is now behind Tim Hortons, the umbrella company, says it's going to launch 1,500 stores into China. 1,500. That's like as many as there are in West Hamilton in China. Actually, it's probably a little more than that. Uh, question is, is this going to work? How is this going to work? Well, Marvin Ryder of the DeGroot School of Business, a favorite of ours here on the show, joins us. Sir, thanks for doing this today. Glad to be here. This uh, on its face, when I hear these numbers and I start to see the plan, uh, this seems awfully ambitious. Yeah, I, would not dis- I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Uh, just to give you a sense of it, right now in Canada, there are 4,600 Tim Hortons locations. That's one for roughly every 8,000 of us. And there's just no more room in Canada. Now, they've tried expanding in the United States, as you suggested, about uh, 693, let's call it 700 locations, uh, and, and somewhat mixed in terms of the results. Now, Restaurant Brands International, connected to uh, Burger King, they have access to international markets. Uh, so they took Tim Hortons to Scotland, took it to England, they've taken it to Dubai, and now they like to go to China. They say 1,500 over 10 years. That's not that bad. That's 150 a year. But I'm just not sure how much they're going to change the Tim Horton strategy to make it work for China. Mm. Does China want coffee? Is it more of a tea? Do they want donuts or do they want some other sweet cookie? That's what we're just not certain about. You mentioned that they've been to Scotland. I mean, they, the states, the states is the states. The states is similar enough, I guess, in Canada palette-wise that we can say they probably did. I mean, we know there's a few things different, but when you go to Scotland or Ireland or these places, do you have any idea how close the menu was? Oh, very similar, except what they would do is they would add, much. by the way, much like uh, um, McDonald's has done this and others as they get to markets, they will keep the basic menu and add a few local favorites to it. Uh, so, for instance, in Germany, you can get wine at a McDonald's and a beer at a McDonald's. In France, you get what's called a McCrock, which is kind of a toasted ham and cheese sandwich. So you, you add some local flavors. Now, um, for instance, on Canada Day, uh, when we celebrate here, uh, there's a donut that they use, red and white sprinkles, kind of looks like the Canadian flag. But in uh, Scotland, it was a totally different flavor just to try to appeal to that local audience. But primarily, I'd say 90 to 95%, the same that you see here. Because, again, there are some places where we know that when you travel, there are, as you say, slightly different tastes, but generally the palate is close enough that you say, okay, it will translate. I haven't traveled to China, so I can't speak with any authority on this whatsoever, but it seems to me that from everything you see, if you watch the Food Network or Discovery Channel or anything else, uh, their foods are not really oftentimes all that similar, and I wonder how this is going to translate. Well, I think you raise an important question here. Now, I'm lucky enough to have been to China. I've been there on four different occasions. Um, If I take a look at what a McDonald's or Kentucky Fried Chicken does, it really is pretty much the same thing. Even uh, Starbucks in China is really the same thing that you see here. The the way they position themselves, though, is not like a day-to-day treat. If we think of Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons is a place to grab a coffee on the run. I'm on my way to a hockey game. I'm on my way to work, and I'm just going to pick up a coffee on the way. In in uh, China, uh, McDonald's, uh, Starbucks, etc., are positioned as uh, special places for a treat, hmm. uh, a little more upscale, a little nicer, and it certainly skews young. What I mean by that is if you're under the age of 25, you want to be Western. You want to do Western things, so... Having a filet fish sandwich or, or getting a Starbucks coffee, that, that means you're hip and trendy. And that's how they're going to have to position it in China. Uh, 1,500 locations, that's not a lot for a country with 1.4 billion people. But I think what they're going to do is go primarily in the urban areas and try to make this part of a sort of a hip, younger culture, not trying to win over the older people, perhaps the way they do here in Canada, 
but go with that younger demographic who want a special treat from the West. Well, and they still, and, and absolutely, based on what you say, the advertisements here, the commercials here, that's not going to trend. That's one thing that's definitely not going to translate. You're going to have to come up with a completely different, as you say, feel for what Tim Hortons is. I mean, here, again, I'm guessing not a lot of people over in China are picking up a coffee on the way to the hockey rink, as you describe. <laughs> no, no. Although... You know, China has its own form of recreation. So rather than trying to link it closely to hockey, maybe you link it closely to water sports, or maybe you link it closer to soccer or something. That would be the challenge for Restaurant Brands International. Having said that to you, though, if you think of their biggest promotional success, that's that roll up the rim mm-hmm. to win. Yep. I think China would be ready to adopt that. I think there's a, a lot of people who would enjoy that. I know the Chinese love little games and contests. And if you were to take that concept into China... I, I'm sure it will do very well. Does the name, Marvin, does the name at all matter? Because they're not going to know who Tim Hortons is. Does that matter at even a whit? Well, uh, you raise a good question. I'm not sure McDonald's meant anything to them or Kentucky Fried Chicken. Of course, over there is shortened as KFC. Uh, I, I think you, you take it and you see. And, and if you find that you need to translate it, come up with a, a nifty way of positioning it in the Chinese language, it might work just fine. I know in China, Kentucky Fried Chicken, with the silhouette of the Colonel and the KFC, does very well. And, and they do seem to pick up on these Western brands so quickly. It really is just amazing. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Oh, we're talking with Marvin about Tim Horton's big, big, ex- I mean, huge expansion into China. Over 10 years, but still 1,500 Tim Horton stores. Uh, Marvin, you know what I forgot to ask you right off the top, and I should have, because the reason we're talking about this, or a big part of the reason we're talking about this, is because it's, it seems to me anyway that Tim Horton's, for all whatever foibles it may have had in recent years with you know, minimum wage and all the rest, that people here in Hamilton, this area, still somehow see Tim Hortons somehow as kind of theirs. Is that still applicable? Yeah, I think it is. I I think uh, we're very proud of of companies that started in Hamilton and spread around, uh, whether it's Stelco or DeFasco, historically strong companies in the area, or uh, Dave Braley with Orlick Industries, or Ron Foxcroft with Fox 40 Whistles. We're, we're pleased when we see a company do well on a global stage. Um, I, I would say today's announcement around China is a bit of a shock. Uh, it, it just does, you know, it's the other side of the Pacific. It's a big move. It's not one or two. It's 1,500 over 10 years. Um, but I think you have to aim high in this market. And clearly, they're, they're saturated here in Canada. They're really boxed in. But having said that, Scott, I don't know if you, you know, they've also made an announcement today that they're partnering with Uber Eats to have... Um, have coffee come to you. If you need a Tim Hortons coffee, a double-double, and a cruller, they'll they'll wing it to you on an Uber and bring it to you. I, I'm not sure how successful that's going to be, but as an example, again, in a saturated market, what you have to do. Let's get to that one in just a minute, because I just want to finish with the China idea, and that is, sure. you mentioned Starbucks just before the break, that Starbucks has ventured into China, and they are, they've had, again, some mixed success, some real successes, I guess, in some areas, some not so much, but if you've got a coffee company that's gone there and has not been overwhelmingly successful, but, you know, here or there, is there a gap, is there a void, is there a niche in the coffee market over there that Tim Hortons can move into? Could it work the same way it does here where Starbucks is more of an elitist, or I don't know if that's the right word, a, a higher-end coffee, and Tim Hortons is the casual everyday coffee? It, where are they going to find their spot there is what I'm saying. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, coffee in China is not the go-to beverage when you need a little pick-me-up in the day. Obviously, it's tea. Um, that doesn't mean that, star- uh, that um, uh, Tim Hortons couldn't serve you tea, but we think of it as a coffee stop. And also, we think of the coffee break, a mid-morning break, a mid-afternoon break. Let's get away from the desk, stretch, have a cup of coffee. That's not exactly the way they do things in China. However, Remember, this is a country that's going through rapid transformation and rapid uh, adoption of the way we do things in the West. And so I think, in a way, Tim Hortons feels that they can get in there and help shape this behavior, that over the next 10 years, as more Western traditions get in there, they can help shape it and make it part of the culture. Remember, Tim Hortons, when it first started here in in Hamilton, wasn't all that big. Uh, it, It did take a while for us to 
get away from taking a thermos of coffee to work or brewing a pot at home and, and doing things that way. Now we don't think anything of spending a couple of bucks for a cup of coffee in the middle of the day. But that didn't happen overnight. So if they can get in now and shape behavior, they might make it part of the culture down the road. And the funny thing is with that is that you're absolutely right. And yet now we're going back to the part where we brew it at home in our Keurig or whatever else. I mean, the things are flipping back, but it's not there yet. So I can see clearly... It is, it's abundantly clear what the potential rewards are here for Tim Hortons. If this goes well and you can plant, let's say they don't even do 1,500 eventually. They look at this and they do 1,000. I mean, that's a huge market, a huge opportunity. That's, that's, that's a no-brainer. But is there also a risk here that if you go into China and this doesn't work, what's the outcome for, for Tim Hortons? What's the outcome for the restaurant brands in industry? Yeah, I, I would look at it this way. I, I view this as an experiment. Uh, I don't really put stock in 1,500. It'll only be 1,500 if the first 10 succeed. The Really, the trick for Tim Hortons is to start going into other markets around the world and test them. See how it goes over in Venezuela. See how it goes over in South Africa. See how it goes over in Egypt. Uh, and as you do these things globally, you'll discover that some markets want exactly what you're offering. They, others want changes. Maybe some of them don't want you at all. And the good news is a failure in one market, say in China even, does not necessarily mean it would translate to Korea or Japan. You need to experiment. And the essence of marketing, the way I teach it anyway, is to constantly be experimenting to try to serve those consumers as best you can. We've got 30 seconds. Uh, You mentioned the fact that they also announced they're going to offer delivery here. Do people here in Canada want to sit at their desk and have Tim's brought to them? Or is part of the experience getting out of the office or driving through and going there and getting it? Maybe it'll work. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure how that's going to play. Well, I would have thought that the idea of a coffee break to get away from the desk, you know, even if I'm in an office tower and I go down to the first floor, visit the coffee kiosk and come back, it's a break. However, uh, I know you've been, I've been to meetings where people bring in coffees. Look, I brought coffees for everybody. And and if there's 10 or 12 people, that's quite a load. Maybe this would be the market the Uber driver would serve, not bringing one double-double in a crawler, but bringing a box of Timbits and coffee for a dozen people. Again, it's an experiment, and, and certainly Uber and its delivery service, it too is on the leading edge of technology. Uh, I certainly can tell you again, the students I teach are much more willing to pay to have food brought to them. I'm just an old cheap guy. I've got a car sitting there. I'm going to hop in the car. <laughs> but a new generation, they view these things differently. I'm picturing the giant keg on the roof of the car driving around and just stopping and delivering it. But uh, we will let you go because uh, Marvin right now has to make himself look very pretty because he's going on TV in just a couple minutes. We've got to let you go for that. We don't want to screw up your TV appearance. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Some of you have probably, by now, I'm guessing, tried an escape room. Ever been to an escape room? I'm sure some of you have done it. You know what I'm talking about. Others of you have no idea. It's okay. We'll walk you through it in a moment here. Uh, but this weekend, a local company that does escape rooms is going to be putting kind of a twist on the concept uh, and I got to tell you, I know, I understand escape rooms. I'm not quite sure I figured out how this one's going to work, but I'm sure he'll help me grasp it in just a moment. Our guest will help me get a handle on this one. It is an outdoor escape room, which seems like kind of the opposite of what an escape room is. Let me bring him in here. His name is James Foley. He is with Mission Possible Escape Rooms. How are you, James? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So for those who don't know, the idea, and, and jump in at any point that I screw this up, because you know this better than I do. Um, right. The idea of an escape room is that you're locked in this room, and you have clues and puzzles and hints and things that you have to do, and eventually you solve a series of problems, one that leads to the next, that leads to the next, and you get out. Yet you're doing something where you're already outside the room. That seems to be the end game before you even start. <laughs> it's a little bit different, yes. It's uh, the first of its kind. It's an outdoor adventure game. So kind of like the puzzles and things that you would find in escape rooms, except you're correct, you are outside moving around, interacting with actors, uh, you're finding different things. We've got a lot of local businesses that got involved as well. They have welcomed our guests uh, into their establishments where you will be able to go in and you're going to solve some puzzles inside their establishments as well. And eventually you finish by locking yourself in a room and that's how you end up winning. That's it. That's uh, is that is that actually right? <laughs> no. Oh no, I was no. I was going to say that'd be very ironic. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, t- so tell me 
For people who don't know this, who may be not as familiar with the concept, but we just explained what an escape room is. And it's, I mean, it is a lot of fun. I've done one not that long ago. I had a, I was at a party and someone had one. Where did this concept start? Because it seems like it's only been around for two or three years. In Canada, yes, we're heading into year four of escape rooms. Globally, though, uh, it started back in 2009 in Japan. And the rest of the world has had these ever since. So we're just kind of catching up like Canada truly always is. We're catching up to everybody else. Uh, we're heading into our fourth year of having escape rooms. And is it now, if I tell someone, if I tell the average person, if I go on the street and I stop 100 people and I say, hey, do you know what an escape room is? What percentage of people are now going to be able to know that? There's actually statistics on this, and in Canada, they say right now, 60% are aware and have played an escape room. Wow, that's actually, I'm, a lot, I'm surprised it's that high. I would have figured more, many people might have known, but I wouldn't have guessed 60% would have played one. Yeah, 60% for sure. Uh, they're even getting into schools. Uh, I've done a lot of guest speaking at various schools where they're getting kids to use this critical type of thinking to formulate their own types of puzzles for each other using their hmm. curriculum. You know, I, I had not thought of the possibility of using it that way, that it's a critical thinking thing. It's, it's a game, so you don't really think of it as critical thinking, it, but I guess it, it really is. It is a game. Yeah, it is totally a game, but um, I would say almost uh, 30 to 40% of our customers are businesses, and they're coming in for team building. So they're doing team building experiences with us because you have to work together. You have to communicate. You have to do something together to solve the problem and it's, it's a great team building thing. Well, yes and no. I'm not going to totally disagree with you, but from my experience, <laughs> you go into the room and there's 10 people and there are one or two alphas who, male or female, who just take over the whole thing and everyone else just follows along with them. I would agree in some <laughs> senses. Sometimes, though, in the rooms that uh, I've created, uh, they're not um, in a certain order. So you can kind of spread out and do your mm. own thing and you're kind of figuring out things, then it's all going to come together. So you're working together, but you don't realize you're working together until it comes together. My only complaint with the one I went to, uh, and it was fun, it was great, and it was well done and everything, is that I was hoping that it would be something dark and terrifying and things would be like popping out and scaring us. It was, it was all bright and fun, and I thought, you know, this would be great. The pr if the pressure was on, that if you don't get this done in a certain period of time, something horrible is going to jump out or scream or whatever. See, that would have that would have got the blood going and would have got me working <laughs> faster. That's what gets you going, eh? Uh, most of the, uh, there's a lot of escape rooms out there that aim for the horror type of. Escape there are okay. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, there's definitely uh, a handful of them out there that gear towards the scare factor. Um, then there's others that this is an adventure. This is a family fun event. This is grab your friends and your buddies. You know, we do everything from bachelor to bachelorette. Um, you know, schools come and just families and whoever's looking to have a good time in a different type of way. But there's a lot of, the, I mean, as much as we have you on and you're doing this thing and we want to, you know, let people know about you, there's a lot of places like yours like uh, that are out there. Why is this working now? Because there's a lot of things people can do with their time and their money. Um, I would say this is just different because there's nothing out there that you are on the same team. You can go out and you can do something like bowling, and that's great, and that's lots of fun. You're competing against each other as a family. Someone wins and someone doesn't. But when you're in a room and there's a countdown clock on the wall and you're looking at it and you're panicked and you want to win and you're working as a unit, it's you against the room, and it's your team against the room. And I know that you're going to tell me when I ask the next question, you're going to tell me that it's that the, your typical customer, that everybody, you've got every age and every gender and everything, I think it's all, but I mean, generally, who, who are the, what is the group that is most involved with these? Um, I would say 15 years old to 35 uh, covet these to the point of they have played so many. In my establishment myself, I think I've played quite a few until I have been around this long where I've met people that have played hundreds of rooms. Really? They literally travel around. They want the new experience. They want to try the new thing. They want to play them all. Maybe I should turn the studio into one, and during the show I could charge people money and they could try to escape before the show is over. You, you may be on to something here. You're, you may be on to something. Well, may, yeah, you may have led me on to something. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you've ever done an escape room, you understand what they are. The whole point is to be in a room. You're locked in a room to break out. His is going to be outdoors. So there's no, well, there, I, I don't know. Is it an escape or is it a puzzle, James? How, how would you describe what's happening on, on this weekend? I would, I would describe it as an outdoor adventure that is good for, uh, you know, friends and family. 
we have two different levels that you can select. So you can select the outdoor adventure or you can select the ultimate outdoor adventure. The ultimate has a different pathway through and it is for puzzle solvers. We're looking for the best of the best of the best. If you think you're a good puzzle solver, you should sign up. Everything is going to be timed. And, you know, if, uh, we've got a lot of great prizes lined up. So we're looking to hand out a lot of great swag, a lot of great fun things, and some top-end prizes for the teams that actually win. See, I used to think I was not bad at puzzles. And then our family watches Survivor still, and they always have those puzzles where you have to slide the things around. There's always the one missing piece. And <laughs> I always think that if I was on Survivor, that's where I'd be eliminated because I cannot do those. So do you have those? We, we do not have Oh, thank those, goodness. So okay. It would be safe. Thank goodness. All right. So yeah. it's going to be is in Burlington, correct? It is in Burlington. Yeah. It's in Burlington. And is it going to then look like a giant game of Pokemon Go? Because you're using your phone as well, right? People are going to be using their smartphones. You do need a phone. Uh, that's what we recommend that you have to bring uh, your phone. You're going to log on. You're going to collect things along the way. You're going to run into actors. They're going to give you certain tasks or side things to do, and they're going to give you new information. So you're going to collect things physically, but you're also going to need a working cell phone with data because, yes, a lot of it's going to be online. No, it's not like a Pokemon Go. You're not trying to find certain things. You're trying to solve the mystery. It, I mean, when you're starting to bring in actors and other things, it's starting to get, it sounds very, uh, not necessarily complicated for the players, although it may be, but certainly complicated for you guys to put this thing on. Uh, we've been putting this together for months now. This isn't something that you can just throw together in a weekend. Uh, yeah, it's been months of putting out all this together. Uh, we're pretty proud of what we have. We have tested it, so we know everything's working well. We worked out any little kink that might happen, and we're looking forward to this Saturday. Um, you know, it's, it's the first time this type of event's ever taken place in the area, and we're looking to, uh, we have over 200 people signed up right now. Wow. Okay, so now, are, if you're walking around, are there clues? Like, will you find clues lying around, that kind of thing? Not necessarily you're going to find clues. You're going to be directed towards certain monuments and certain things that are permanent fixtures in Burlington. Okay. And then you're going to have some sort of code or something to solve with that that's physically there. Okay, because I was thinking, you know, some just person is going to walk by and go, hey, look, a Rubik's Cube, and pick up one of your clues and walk away, and then the whole thing just falls apart. So that's, this makes a lot more sense. That's why it took so long to put together to make sure something like that doesn't happen. Yeah, Because that would really, you know, just one person could just throw the whole game into disrepair. You know, um, it could. You you also said off the top though that, and I find this really interesting that um, you've got a lot of other lot of local businesses involved in this. How do you pitch them? I mean, I suppose if it's a coffee shop or something, then they're thrilled to have everybody walking in because they can grab something when they're there. But how do you pitch all these businesses to say, let's have your all of our people come into your store to do this, not to shop, to do this? This the feedback from the store owners was really tremendous. Uh, some of them even said, "You know what? It's going to be a hot day. I'd like to throw in a free bottle of water for everyone that comes through." Um, they they understand what's going to happen. They're going to be showcased. They're going to be put on the map. If people don't know that they exist, they're going to find them. They're going to be able to go inside and see what their store is all about. Um, the store owners that did get involved are very excited to be involved, and we're more than happy to have them. How widespread is this? Like, is this by foot? This is by foot. You're going to park your car, you're going to get out, you are going to meet the first actor, and he is going to explain what's going on, what's happened. You're going to get your first information package, you're going to open that up, your time's going to start, and then on average, we believe it's going to be about a two-hour event for you and your team. What happens if it goes well? I mean, if this thing, you have 200, and if everybody from the 200 says, you know, you got to do this again, and I can bring more friends, I mean, could you envision down the road this thing a becoming more regular and b getting up to a really really big crowd for this um we're already working on our second one to be completely honest we're going to run one more this summer uh we have other local businesses that couldn't be involved we're going to move the location of the next event and yes we i do envision this just getting bigger and bigger more people want to get involved more it's more fun to be had it's great for friends and family it's something different to do and it gets you outside how much does it cost? For people who want to play, how much does it cost? How can they find out about it? How could they sign up if there are still spaces available? Give us all the, the details. Okay, so there are a few spots available. It is $40 per team. So you can have a team of two to six people, and it's only 40 bucks plus tax, and you're good to go. Um, you need to go to missionpossibleescaperooms.com. Uh, You've got to look up Saturday. The, it's called the Outdoor Adventure. Uh, you click on that. You put in your information, and you pay online. And shortly after that, you will get an email explaining everything you need to know. 
It is uh, it is a cool idea, as I say. I did one. Uh, I did an escape room, not an outdoor one. I did one indoors the other well month or so ago, a couple months ago, and I had never done it before. And I got to tell you, I was skeptical. But it was a ton of fun. It really was a ton of fun to do it. And uh, I hate to say that I may have been one of the alpha people in the room that kind of took over. I may <laughs> That may have happened. I'm not really sure. But um, next time, I think I'll chill a little bit and stand in the back. Well, you know, we watch the games because every time people go into these games and we have monitors and we watch everything that happens, you do see different things happen in the rooms, you know. Um, and it's definitely someone's trying to take charge or everyone's working together, but it is extremely entertaining to watch. Yeah, a little, just a little hyper-competitive, I think, is the problem. Yeah. A little hyper-competitive. Uh, James Foley, missionpossibleescaperooms.com. Really appreciate the time today. Good luck this weekend. Thanks so much for having me. We look forward to having this weekend go off really well, and stay tuned for the next event. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It is time for Will's story of the day. Here's what we do. I bring in three unusual stories from around the world. I will offer up all three. And Will, who's on the other side of the glass, who's pressing the buttons, who's keeping the music going, who's answering the phones, who's doing all that stuff, Will gets to choose which one he decides is his favorite. Which one is Will's story of the day? And I must say, Will, I'm very proud of this week's offerings. (laughs) I am very, this week was a treasure trove. I had about 17 that I could, there are weeks when it's hard to find them. There are weeks when it's not. This was a week when it was not. I have a list and I've whittled it down to the top three of which you will choose one. Story number one comes to us from California where a 25-year-old guy named Robert Quigley was driving his car along the I-80 outside Sacramento. When the car in front of him stopped, the SUV in front of him stopped, he slammed into the back of the SUV. Uh, He's okay. He and his girlfriend were okay. But as he pulled his car over to the side of the road to get it out of the way, uh, somehow there'd been a gas leak and it burst into flames. So he and his girlfriend were able to get out of the car. They're all fine. They're not injured from the crash. They escaped the fire. Everyone's okay. But as he's watching his car burn, (laughs) Robert Quigley decides he really needs a smoke. I guess the stress, he needs to (laughs) relax, but he had no, no matches anymore. He only had a cigarette. So he wanders over to his car, to the flaming wreckage of his car to use the flame from the vehicle to light his cigarette only to have a gas explosion go off. He's again, he's fine. But by the time the police and fire department arrived, poor Robert Quigley is standing off on the side of the road with no eyebrows (laughs) and the front of his hair singed off although very relaxed from his cigarette, uh, <laughs> believed to maybe be intoxicated, possibly. Possibly, Possibly. Yes. Uh, but yes, yeah, so he, he explained that he's not, he wasn't afraid of fire, told that to the cops as they looked at him with his like smoking, singed eyebrows. And I am picturing Daffy Duck right now. That's exactly what it looks like. The best part of this story, by the way, well, locally anyway, is um, the, the TV station that he talked to was called Fox 40. A little Hamilton reference, but anyway. uh, So yeah, so James Quigley, who decided to light his cigarette with the flames from his burning car in California. That is story number one. Story number two. Now this, this comes from a time ago. This comes from earlier this year. There's a doctor and I'm trying to think where the doctor was. I can't find where he is, but he, he was a brand new doctor who has written a book or is writing a book about his first year as a doctor and the experiences that he had and the things that he saw. So this story goes back to February 29th. Now, was this year, was it this year we had a February 29th or was it last year? Anyway, whenever the last February 29th was, let me see. We didn't have one this year. Uh, we didn't have one last year. So it obviously goes back to 2016. So the story's a little old, but nonetheless, he's All telling right. this story of his first year as a doctor. And there's a tradition that says on February 29th, women can jump the queue, not wait for their boyfriends to propose to them, they can propose to their boyfriend. Yeah. So this woman decides she is going to propose to her boyfriend on February 29th, but she's going to do it in a different kind of way. Uh Uh-oh. So she gets an engagement ring, puts it into a kinder egg, a kinder surprise, and then hides the kinder surprise in a place that she thinks her 
boyfriend may find it when they begin fooling around a little bit later. Okay. But what is discovered is that no matter how hard they try, the Kinder Surprise will not come out. Oh, dear. So she and he have to end up in the emergency room for a Kinder Egg Extraction. Oh, no. Yeah, it was a surprise. Yes, that is. It was a surprise, not quite the surprise they had hoped for, but there's story number two for Will's story of the week, the lost kinder egg. Oh, no. Story number three, the last story, your last choice today, comes from Australia, where this bus in a bus stop, and, uh, you know, where you, where, uh, what do you call it, a roadside stop, where yeah. people can pull over and... Maybe there's a McDonald's, whatever else. What do they call those things? Like a truck stop yeah, pit area. Stop pit stop area. Truck, truck stop, stop yeah. area. So these two guys at night are short on gas and decide they're going to siphon gas from this bus that has pulled over. So there's probably 55 oh. people in the store buying their dinner. They've got time. So they crack open the gas yeah, the, the door yeah. and stick the hose in there. And if you know how to siphon, you start sucking on the tube yes. to try and create a suction and then the this, gas will the just gas start coming come out, out by yeah, itself. Yeah. Not that either of us have ever siphoned gas. I've no. never done it. I've, I've heard of it. I've seen people try to do it. I've had it explained. Unfortunately, these guys were not geniuses. They cracked open the wrong door. They didn't no. actually open the gas door. Oh, no. Uh, they oh. opened the sewage tank door <laughs> and began si- siphoning from the sewage tank. Golly. From the toilet at the back of the bus. That probably 55 seniors coming home from the bingo hall who have been u- enjoying their free beverages have uh, have used quite easily. So there are your three wow. possible stories for the Will story of the day. Will it be the guy who tried to light his cigarette with his burning car and singed <laughs> off his eyebrows? Will it be the woman who tried to get romantic with her kinder egg and lost it? Or will it be the two idiots who decided to <laughs> siphon gas out of the bus and ended up sucking up the sewage? Oh wow! Yeah, th- these are hard. I'm go- I'm going with the bus siphoning though. Ooh, that is uh, telling you. Do not you, try at home. Do not try any of these at home. Uh, wow, this was a week. This was a th- this. And again, you know what? We could have gone to the B pool, and they still would have been great. But yes, okay. So siphoning raw sewage out of a g- Greyhound bus is Will's story of the Uh-oh. day. Uh, just ponder that one over the Cautionary news break. Tale Cautionary tale or something. Criminals are never brilliant. Just think of that next time you decide to break the law. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I don't know where to even start. Today. Let me bring Bubba O'Neill in from CHCH. Sir, how are you tonight? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. You're fantastic. So you're not an English fan then? No. Okay. Well, let's see that you wouldn't be saying fantastic if you were. I, I am, I am, I'm finding... Sunday's World Cup final now to be uninspiring. I am. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm disinterested now in the final, and not because I'm an England fan per se. I just find that to have a great storyline in sports, you need to have either, a, as I say, a storyline or a hero and a villain or something to root for. I, I don't have any cheering interest or rooting against interest in either France or. Croatia. So I, I've I've kind of lost interest now. So so you're not interested in one, the arguably the the team that's been the best in the tournament, and two, the team that deserves to be there. Nope. I, I that's, wanted that's that's, 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 a, that's a crying shame. Then I, I then wanted. I don't know why you watched the whole tournament. Like, I want, you wanted England in there. No, I wanted a great story, either a rivalry. There is a great storyline there. Which there's one? Team, there's, there's obviously France have been, the, as I said, the, they've been easily the best team in the and complete tournament. And of course, you have the likes of, of Croatia. I mean, I love teams that are in there, or any for that matter, first timers. I mean, I've seen, I'm, I've, I've seen England lose. I've seen England choke. Oh, we uh, all have. They, they, they've been, you know, it's, what's it, 1966? Time for a new team, some new blood, and a team that actually deserved to win today. They didn't, you know, Croatia didn't sit back and allow this to happen. They attacked today. England had one shot on goal. Is that the team that I want to see in the World Cup final? There is no argument, and I'm not making the argument, there is no argument that the two worthy teams are in the final. Absolutely they are. The two teams that deserve to be in the final are in so the then final. So hence the storyline is written for you. The, team, the teams that deserve to be there 
And like I said, and, 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 it's, and it's even more special because Croatia have an opportunity to do something that has never happened before. See, I could have got really interested in France versus England. I could have got interested Why? for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. I don't know what these obvious reasons. I'm hearing this around the station too. I don't know what these obvious reasons are. History. Uh, history. What history do England and, and, and France have? It, it, the history is England losing. That's the history. Somehow, my phone, when they heard me say history, just biped on here, and Siri decided to start answering the question. I didn't even know the phone was on. Uh, apparently, it has a view on this thing as well. Um, I would have been okay. See, here's, again, Bobby, here's the thing, is that I don't have, I don't, just did it again. It really wants to chime in on what this history is. I've it turned it off. It's up like me. It, it is. It is. Um, I, I don't have a strong feeling negative or positive it's about either of these two teams and i like when i'm watching a sport when i'm watching an event i want to either cheer for a team or be rooting against a team i want to have some feeling like i have some sort of dog in the fight and in this case i just i don't and so that maybe so the, they are the best teams i'm not arguing about the best teams they're the so best teams under, make me understand that what was your dog in the fight for 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 england the history of this team being much like in some ways, even one year longer than the Toronto Maple Leafs of absolute abject suffering. And while Croatia, you're right, has never got this far. And so they have a stake to that as well. England has in the last 51 years, 52 years, I guess it is, uh, found ways constantly as they did today to find the most painful ways to torture their fans with losses. Somehow them getting to the final, there would have been, you know they were going to lose if they got to the final because that's the that's what they have to do. There is some sort of divine thing that says England has to find the most painful ways to torture their fans. But, but them they did being that today, they did that I, well, today. I know we, we didn't, I didn't need to get wait to the final for that to happen. Speaking of torturing fans, I, I'm going to come back to this. But speaking of torturing fans, and I want to go back to England for a second. I'm not talking about soccer. <laughs> Roger Federer loses today at Wimbledon. Oh. And it was it was an epic match, and it was what was it thirteen eleven in the fifth set, something like yeah. that. But it was it was an epic. It was a great match. He lost to somebody that most people don't know, Kevin Anderson. Yeah, it's okay, Kevin Anderson. Wasn't he Britney Spears' first husband? <laughs> I actually called him Ken Anderson, the old Cleveland uh, Cincinnati Bengals yep. quarterback once. So nonetheless, so so Roger Federer, who is the legend, the modern legend of Wimbledon, is out. And not only is he the modern legend of Wimbledon, he is Milos Raonic's kryptonite. Raonic cannot beat this guy. And so earlier in the day, Federer is out. And all of a sudden, every Canadian tennis fan goes, huh, maybe this is the chance. If, if Raonic can just get through this quarterfinal match today, this may be the path to a Wimbledon title for him. And, and now I know Raonic pulled a muscle and he was staggering around the court and he wasn't himself. But it was like, oh, really? Really? The door was open. And I was, I'm guilty of that too, because I, you know, I kind of think I was on Twitter and I was like, oh, did it open for Milos Ronic? But then after further evaluation, after I hit enter, there's no way Ronic was going to beat Djokovic or Nadal on the other side in the final. Not possible. He's never done it before. So is Milos Ronic our version of England's soccer team then? The guy <laughs> who is going to torment us by getting close enough to sniff the cup, no. but never enough to taste out of it? Yeah, here, you know what? Here's the difference, Scott, and really... It, it, it's not his fault because what has happened here in tennis, especially in men's tennis, is that the golden era of tennis has been elongated by the greatness of Nadal and Federer. I mean, Federer in a month is going to turn 37 years old. Nadal, who has fought off injuries and serious injuries for the last three to four years, has extended his career and is as healthy as a horse and is playing like you what he did five years ago. So Minos Ronic, I'm telling you this, would be a top three player in the world yeah. had everything gone to form and that these guys would have been long gone. So I feel sorry for Milos Ronic in some sense there. Um, that's my sympathy to him, is because these guys, we're talking about Milos Ronic, who is a very good player. Don't be fooled. Uh, you know, Canadians who are, you know, say that he's a choker or, or he can't get there. He's an excellent player with one of the best serves in all of tennis. But he's, fa he's playing in a time where there are the Mount Rushmores of tennis still in the game. 
And I'll even add Novak Djokovic in there because he's got 12 grand slams himself. And you mentioned Federer being 37, did you say? 36, 37? 37 in a month. Bjorn Borg, who, I, I mean, I still hold up as the, uh, I still think is the greatest tennis player ever. I mean, I, I know the numbers aren't there and everything else, but I'm thinking, he, he retired at 27. He, I mean, he was out of the game a decade before Federer. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right that in a lot of different times, remember, there was a time in the 80s and 90s when the female tennis players were breaking into the game at like 15 and 16 and were done by their mid-20s almost, at well, least I, as far I, as competitive or top-ranked players. I believe uh, Martina Hingis is the youngest winner of a Grand Slam, and she had just turned 16 years old. Yeah, oh, I mean, Monica Selish was very young. Yep. Uh, uh, Martina Navratilova may be the exception. Chrissy Everett was exceedingly Actually, no, young. Martina had, I mean, she started out in, I think, 1975. She was a young 18-year-old from the Czech Republic. All right, all she right. Had a, she had a young, she had a long, long career, and the same thing goes for you know Chris Everett. I mean, she was the young American sweetheart. Yeah, and it goes on and on. Like every female player, it seems, was that Car- Carling Bassett once upon a time, the Canadian right, one, and Pam right. Shriver, yeah. and all these all these females. And the men were a little bit older, but you're right; they were basically by the time they reached thirty, they were kind of either beaten down from all the traveling and everything else, or just done with tennis. And or they just couldn't keep up to the young guns. Well, what is amazing to me about Federer is that he is still interested because that's the biggest thing to me. When you're playing tennis every single day of your life, every single day, even when you're not competing, you're practicing. They may take a week off at some point, but they probably during that week off, they're hitting balls. You're playing every single day. There is a point. I don't care how obsessed you are that you say, there's got to be something else to do with my life. And when they discover that, it begins to fade. I think that's what's happened to Tiger Woods in a lot of ways with the golf is that he found other interests. He had kids, he got married, and those are great things. That's not a bad thing, but you begin to whittle away at the obsession with the sport and then your performance is going to go down. Federer somehow has maintained his level of commitment and interest and obsession with the game to stick around this long. You know what, Scott, I'll even add there's an obsession of winning. You, 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 you are... You are, you are addicted to winning. Like a gambler can't stop gambling. And, and hence, maybe that's a motivating factor for, for Federer because he considers himself, he can, you know, and it's funny because he's not short of, you know, patting himself on the back. And it's well-deserved because he knows the hard work that it, he puts into it and that he has, you know, reaped the, the rewards and the benefits and can stand there with young players and can hit as hard and can serve as hard. And, you know, his fitness level is, I mean, and look at him. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't care who you are. Look at his body. It's beautiful. And again, well, okay. I mean, no, I, 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 you know, it is the. I know it, what you mean. He is. He's an, he's an unbelievable shape. He's an unbelievable physical specimen. And really, his, you know, and you hear this a lot of times from the, 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 the best tennis, tennis analysts is that his body is made for tennis. It clearly is. It seems to be working. And, I, and, you know, obviously he's realized a couple of things, too, that, you know what, he's not as good on, on clay. Um, Nadal generally gets the best of him. So he doesn't even waste time. He prepares himself for the hard court and the grass court seasons. And, I mean, with a little bit of a blip today, I mean, can listen to this statistic. This is incredible. First of all, there's two of them that blew me away. He had not lost a set at Wimbledon all year, all the entire tournament, and that's four matches. He had been on the court for in four matches for a total of four hours and eight minutes, or probably six hours, six hours and eight minutes. And today's match, he was on the on the court for four hours and thirteen minutes in the loss. He was he had in you know in in going ahead two sets to love. He had won. Only of 269 matches, he'd won 266. That goes to yeah, show you what a rarity it is. It is of today's loss. And again, the guy who was considered the probably the best player by most people, other than me, uh, before was Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras retired when he was into just, I think he had just turned 31 or was almost 31 when he retired. So Rod Federer is doing is exceptional for longevity. But again, I go back to my point. So you've got Milos Raonic, who cannot beat Roger Federer. And Uh, Understandable, Roger Federer is the best of all time. He is still remarkable. 
But he loses this morning and the door is now open for Raonic because his guy that he cannot take out of there, and your point is well taken, Bubba, that you may have had other guys that would have given him a huge problem coming up. But nonetheless, Federer was the main obstacle, always has been. He's gone now. You're looking saying this could be the opportunity and again, it just seems like, uh, how often is this going to happen that he, that the Canadian guy, the guy that we're all hoping is going to do it, just uh, just doesn't happen? Well, you just hope. I mean, again, if, we, if Milos is the kind of guy that is passionate about winning, as some of these those three men are, in, in Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, he will have his time. I think, I mean, Ronich is not even 20 years, 30 years old yet. So uh, you got to believe he's praying for these guys to call it quits yep. because then it will be an opportunity for him. It will be an opportunity for Kevin Anderson. It will be an opportunity for John Isner, for some of these younger guys to get, you know, some opportunities. And, you know, you got a guy like Andy Murray that's trying to make a comeback, but I don't think his body's going to allow him to ever be as, as good or as fit as he was at one point. But I, I, I do believe there is time for Milos Ronic to still win, you know, win that Grand Slam that's eluded him, you know, for his entire career right now. And, you know, and statistically, or at least ranking-wise, he's not even the greatest, the best Canadian right now. No, although although yeah. he's he's at least consistent. He's yeah. at least more consistent. Shapovalov is either genius or something else. Or, or lessons to learn. Or and, lessons to learn, exactly. You know. Like drilling a ball off the umpire's head. Even accidentally. I know that's a couple of years ago now. I always laugh at that still because I know it was, I mean, it was so accidental and yet it was just, I was that kid growing up who, and we've talked about this in the show before, if I made a boo-boo somehow, if someone was going to get hurt, it was probably me that caused it. I was always the, and so when Shapovalov did that, I went, I know what that feels like. No yeah. intention to drill the umpire, and yet, oh, that's uh, me who gets yeah, in trouble. an odd moment of immaturity. Of course it was. I mean, he's 19 years old, and he's got lessons to learn in, 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 in all aspects of the game. But uh, I still think, even though the rankings don't say it, I still believe that, uh, and even though, and Shapovalov actually won the last head-to-head meeting between him and Ronich, but I still think Ronich is a more complete player at this point. Let's go back to soccer for one second. I'm jumping around, but the the fact that uh, Croatia is in the final, small, I believe it's the smallest country in the World Cup, and so they get in and again. Okay, I, your point is is fine. I as I say I'm not particularly passionate about either of these, but that's fine. They they are the two teams that deserve to be there based on their play. You can make that case. So we have eight years for Canada to get things turned around. Does Croatia give us hope? Or does Croatia say, yeah, they still, though, have a bunch of players that are playing premier top-level soccer somewhere. We can prepare, but we're still a long, long, long way from being able to pull the Cinderella story that Croatia did. I mean, uh, and for yeah, Canada, yeah. I would say just getting through the the not the first round, the round robin, getting out of the t- group play would be our Cinderella story. I don't even know if we can do that. Yeah, that's that 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 will be a, an absolute pipe dream. I mean, like you're talking about the guy who scored the winning goal here, Mary Manzuka. She plays for Juventus, and will be strike will be strike force along with the Cristiano Ronaldo in the upcoming season. And they've got numbers of players that play in in Syria ah, and play in, in in La Liga and and the English Premiership. Uh, until Canada gets to that level, uh, I don't think using Croatia as an example for us. Uh, will be uh, is a good idea. The level's way too high in Croatia of the level that they're playing right there. Um, again, for us, let, let's just you know win matches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're we're a long, long way off from you know being one of those teams that I could consider um, a contender at any World Cup, and and I'm even talking about eight years from now. Yeah, and we had. Uh, I we... do believe there's, we're going in the right direction. I do believe that the right man is at the controls to lead. You know, uh, Soccer Canada uh, compared to some of the. Um, I know, I, I got to be respectful here. Uh, some of the clowns that were running the organization before. <laughs> I mean. So I'm glad that we've got the right guy, you know, running the program right now because I think good things are going to happen. But this is a long, long process. Yeah, we had your former colleague on here last night. Mark Hebsher joined us last night and was chatting, and he was way more optimistic than you. I'm, I'm on your side on this one, and I would love for Canada to be able to look like they're going to be a really strong team. I, I, uh, I. 
and I hope, like, who doesn't want us if we're hosting and we have a team in it? Who doesn't want us to do well? Last time we were in was 86. We didn't even score a goal. Didn't even score a goal. So, maybe, I, su- you know, so I suppose that's the, that, maybe that's our target. Let's get a goal. You know, hey, you know, and, and hey, I'll extend the, the thought. I mean, what's happening tomorrow right here in Hamilton is going to go a long way, I think, to making this team maybe be able to score a goal in the World Cup. And the fact that this this Canadian Premier League that is uh, going to kick off in a year from now, and you know, a team right here in Hamilton, you think that's uh, going to develop world class players? I I think it it's going to give opportunity for Canadian players to say, I'm going to keep playing good university players that come from the states or are playing in this country. I think it gives a chance to, for development. But you don't think that by the time you've graduated from university, if you have not already been spotted as being a star player with an option to play, either be drafted MLS or go to Europe, that, that you're going to be able to grow yourself into an na- international star player? See, that's, that's the challenge I have with this, is that I, we need to have guys who are, before they're done university, have already been scouted and said, this is a guy we are going to have on our national team. When you're 25 or 26 or 27, I'm not sure that's helpful to but, us. But I think, Scott, it's going to give opportunities. To, uh, yes, there, will there be some senior players on that team? Absolutely. But there's going to be some real exciting kids, and I don't, I'm going to say maybe 17, 18 years old, that maybe start off their careers playing on a team like that. And then advance on to MLS, or you know maybe get an opportunity to play somewhere in Europe, and and then come back and play for the for for Canada. But I just believe that so many of these players get lost; they don't know where to go. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It just if there's one more option, and I'm from what I'm hearing with this league is that they are going full force with training, with the, the having good management of teams. And good management of teams in terms of a ma- you know of, of your coaches and managers to 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 hold form to actually call it the Canadian Premier League. So I just think it can't hurt to have another option for Canadian players to play in this country and develop in this country. We will see. I I, I remain entirely skeptical of the impact this will have. I uh, John McGrain. I have enormous respect for him. I know he's very high on this. I am very skeptical, but you know what? We will see in time, and we've got uh, eight years to see if it can have that kind of impact. Bubba O'Neill, you can watch him tonight on CHCH. He'll be doing the weather. He'll be doing the sports. Make sure the weather's good for us, please. <laughs> I wonder how the weather is in, uh, in Dubrovnik. Uh, probably filled with fireworks and liquor. <laughs> good time. Thanks, Bubba. All right. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.